You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Dan. Um, I'm wondering if anybody out there has ever heard of the Stockholm Syndrome. Is that a familiar thing? Uh, it's uh, a situation where someone who's been taken captive or hostage or held kidnapped or whatever uh, has sympathy for their captors. I have a quick video to explain that, if you play that for us, please. In Stockholm on the 23rd of August 1973, a criminal called Jana Erik Olsen walks into a bank, pulls out a gun, and takes four bank workers hostage. He then demands a getaway car, cash, and for an accomplice to be freed from prison and rushed over to join him at the bank. Police snipers surround the bank. The criminals retreat with the hostages into the bank's vault. A policeman creeps inside and slams the vault door shut locking both hostages and captors inside. This is where it gets weird. From inside the vault, one of the hostages, Christine Enmark, phones the Swedish Prime Minister and begs for her captors to be allowed to escape. Bizarrely, she says she wants to go with them. The Prime Minister refuses. The police prepare to storm the vault. The criminals agree to come out but their hostages offer to act as human shields, protecting their captors from being shot. Later, the hostages would refuse to testify in court against them and even raise money for their defense. It seems the hostages have gone totally mad, siding with their captors rather than the police. This psychological response becomes known as Stockholm Syndrome. However, look a little closer and you'll find this story is not so straightforward. In truth, Enmark had good cause to believe she was more likely to die in a shootout caused by trigger-happy police than to be killed by her captors. And so, it was in her self-interest that the criminals be let go safely. Since 1973, the concept of Stockholm Syndrome has been reported by the media in numerous kidnapping and hostage incidents. But many are sceptical. It's not been recognised as an official psychiatric disorder, And in 1989, an FBI survey of 600 police agencies failed to register any kidnapped cases where an emotional involvement between victim and kidnapper affected the rescue operation. In short, it's extremely rare. So could the real story of Stockholm Syndrome be that it's more about victim blaming than reality? Just thought it was an interesting. I, I wanted to use this, and it was an interesting thing. By the way, I guess the British spell skeptical differently than we do. I noticed that. All right, that was funny. Uh, anyway, I just I, I want that in your minds about how, at least in that instance, uh, someone in a bad situation read it wrong and got the wrong affections, because that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, we're in Romans six, chapter fifteen through twenty-three. If you'd like to turn there with me. Um, I've entitled this Truth and Consequences. For those of you who are old enough to remember the TV show Truth or Consequences, this is Truth and Consequences. You don't get a choice. You've got to do both, okay? So I'm going to read to us the, that passage from uh, Romans 6, then we'll go forward. Starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 
and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented yourself members, presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That last verse is very familiar to many of us, right? That's one that we will use to help people understand the gospel. So to start off this passage, Paul asks the same exact question, basically, as he asked in verse 1. You know, are we, are we to sin because we are not under law but under the grace? Uh, and his answer is the same. This is actually probably just a continuation of his argument against this false thought, right? And his answer is, as it was in the first place, basically nonsense, balderdash, hogwash, and whatever other kind of old person word you want to use to say, this is ridiculous, don't say that again, right? That kind of thing. Um, so he's, he's, not, uh, he's not changing his mind. He's simply restating it from a different perspective. In the first part of the chapter, he was emphasizing the fact that we have new life in Christ, and that was why we shouldn't do that. In the second part, he's focusing more on who's our master. We're serving somebody and why we should do uh, something differently. So that brings me to my first point. And the fact is, here's the truth. We all serve someone. Okay? Sorry to say it, guys. There are no moral free agents. We don't get to do what we want to do. In, in our spirit, we are slaves. Um, that, that totally goes against the American way, right? Uh, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm my own man. Pioneers in the West, cowboys, all that stuff. There's nothing wrong with a lot of that politically, socially, economically, all that's good stuff. But in our spirits, it's just not true. It's just not true. We see here very clearly. I mean, the, the life, liberty, preserved happiness is ground into us from the start, right? When we first start understanding how, how we live as Americans. And that's not how we live as people of spirit, of, of the spiritual part of our lives. Paul's made it clear throughout this whole book that we are slaves to sin. And uh, the fact is, we start that way. I think Sean referenced it a, a week or two ago from when as soon as Adam dropped the ball, that was it for us, right? We, we had no, no choice. Um, and when Jesus sets, him free from, from, sets us free from that slavery, if that's happened in your life, you become a slave to obedience, as it says in the scripture. That's, that's what you are supposed to do. It's not, now you get to do whatever you want. That's, what's, that's the absurdity of that argument that Paul's saying, is you don't get to just do whatever you want. Now you have to, you know, your, your obedience and your loyalty is to Jesus. Um, in fact, Jesus himself said in John 8, whoever practices sin is a slave to sin. Jesus said this too. This isn't just Paul. Um, it's our default setting coming, coming into the world, and he's the only one that can set us free, right? We cannot do this ourselves. That's an important piece that um, you got to grab a hold of if you're wrestling with, if you're, you're on the other side of that equation where you haven't surrendered to Jesus yet, you have to, you have to come to grips with that, that you can't do this yourself. There's no Spartacus out there. There's nobody rallying the slaves to break free, right? There's no George Washington or we're no, no Boston Tea Party. We're not throwing the tea into the water. We're lost. We can't do it. There's no way to break out of this. We need the stronger person, Jesus, to break us out. We're ineffectual in doing that, guys. That's, that's an important place to start from there. In fact, um, when that happens, when Jesus sets us free, we're now his. Okay? He, he transferred ownership to him. Um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about this too. He's, he's, 
imploring the, the Corinthian Christians to stop behaving the way that we all know they behaved if you've read that book, right? All the mess they were in. And he says to them, you are not your own. You are bought with a price, right? There, there's some reality to that, that, that we're not able to just go and do whatever now, but we, we owe our allegiance to God. We owe our, owe our allegiance to Jesus who saved us. So there, there's been a transfer here. Now I want to take a second because um, that metaphor may be uncomfortable for people. The, the concept of slavery, maybe we don't want to use that based on our history in America here as a metaphor. I understand that. Um, and so a couple things to keep in mind there. In Paul's day, slavery was a little different. It wasn't much different. It's not the same picture we have of our pre-Civil War plantation slavery. That's not how it was. There was some nature of a few people were voluntarily slaves because they couldn't get anything better in life. For us, the analogy would be the indentured servant in, in colonial times, right? That kind of thing. But either way, in Paul's day, being a slave was degrading and bad. It was not a good thing. So it's not like he has a different perspective to come from, so it's okay to talk about that. He knew it was bad, too, and he used it anyway. Okay, it's, it's an important idea. In fact, what he says is, um, I'm speaking in human terms. In verse 19, he says, I'm speaking in human terms to you because your mind can't understand. I've got to use familiar things so you can understand what I'm talking about. So, so that's why he's using it. Jesus did the same thing. He used metaphors. He used agricultural metaphors regularly. Paul, in other places, uses military metaphors. And we just need to know that all metaphors break down. They're not perfect descriptions. There's something to let you understand because our minds are limited. We can't follow God completely. So he uses things that are familiar to us to help us to, to see what he's talking about. So if that does make you uncomfortable, I, I guess Paul didn't apologize, I won't either. I just want to help explain that, perhaps, that nobody's condoning slavery. It's just a reality of life that we know about that we can use to, to talk about the situation. Um, another point of discomfort that may arise out of this concept of the, facts that we're, the fact that we're either a slave to sin or a slave to, to righteousness is that, uh, in reality, we don't get to choose our master, guys. That is a hard thing for us to hear. People don't like that thought that they don't get to decide what they're going to do, um, but and, and that's going to hit more. It's going to hit home more and more as we travel down this path in Romans. Okay, as as we hit into Romans chapters nine through eleven, you're going to hear a lot of stuff like this. So I'm going to start the conversation here today with, with this concept of being a slave until Jesus sets us free. Right, um, and Jesus said again in John, He said, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him to him." Okay, the the idea here is that. Slaves, in this metaphor, are unable to change their status. They can't just say, hey, I'm not a slave today, right, and just walk out. That didn't work, right? That was the concept of slavery, is you didn't get to do that. And other scriptural analogies give us the same look at uh, our inability to change who we are. Um, in Ephesians 2, Paul says that we are dead in our sin, and he means literally dead, not alive. And last I saw, we had this conversation in my life group, where's Nathaniel, right? Can dead things respond? Nathaniel, of course, found some way that dead things can respond. But generally speaking, dead things don't respond, right? They're dead. So dead things can't come to life, right? They can't change what they are. They're dead. In Ezekiel 26, God talking to Israel through the prophet Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Okay, he's changing them to make them alive. Stone is dead. It doesn't respond to anything. What stone gets to do is sit there and weather away and crumble. That's what stone gets to do. Or be broken by violence. There's no action that stone can take, right? So in any of these cases, the, the idea here, and Paul's talking about here too, is that any action in salvation comes from God. He transforms us, right, through Jesus. And we need to trust him to do that. 
That's why we talk here about surrendering to Jesus. We can't do that for ourselves. All we can do, our action in salvation is to give up acting. Say, I give up. I can't do that, right? And, and we need to have that uh, understanding as we see this conversation because then it gives it meaning, okay? Until we do that surrendering, until that action happens, our only choice is how we will serve sin, not whether we will choose sin. That, that's the choice we have as people who don't know Jesus is to decide which way we will sin. There's a passage in Joshua that I want to talk about because people often use this to kind of debate about whether they chose to follow God or not. And I, I, I think it's often interpreted incorrectly. And as we're slaves to sin, I want you to hear it from this perspective, okay? Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods, of your father, the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Be a slave to God. And if that is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, you're a slave to sin. Choose this day who you'll serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. If you're a slave to sin, choose whatever sin you want. There's a multitude of them. Follow whatever false god you want to follow. It doesn't matter. You're a slave to sin. That's what Joshua is saying. I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to righteousness. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's, that's the context of that, that discussion. It's not a matter of whether or not you chose to serve God. Either you're choosing or either you're serving God, you're his, he's your master, or you're serving sin. And if you're serving sin, have at it. I'm not going to tell you how to do that. that. That's what Joshua is saying there. Okay? So we're all slaves to sin. And until we give up that fight, until we give up trying to be a slave to, to sin, we will be. When we give up and let Jesus save us, that's when we can be free. And when we're free, we're his. We're not our own. Right? That's what Paul's trying to get at by saying nonsense that you can go do whatever you want. When you've been freed from the previous master, your master now expects you to live in a certain way. He expects you to obey and follow him. And that, that's, the, that's what we get out of that. Okay, So there's the truth that we're a slave until we're a slave again. But you know why? That, that second slavery is a whole different world. It's a good thing. Okay? And we're going to talk about that. So here's the consequences. Okay, so Paul actually lays out two different things here for those people who are wondering about what's going on, right? These are the two things that can happen. So my second point here today is what's the fruit of serving sin? Paul talks in that language here today, fruit. He uses fruit, another agricultural analogy, okay? Um, this, now, this was written to followers of Jesus. This, this letter was definitely written to people who have already committed their lives to follow Jesus. So why would Paul need to think about the results of serving sin, the fruit. Why would, why would that be an issue? Because in theory, followers of Jesus are his slaves, and they will obey his master, obey their master, right? Well, Paul's realistic. Paul knows that slaves don't always obey their masters, okay? And it goes both ways. On occasion, we all have met people who are generally considered to be not very nice people that have done nice things, or we've seen them in the news or whatever, right? It, even Adolf Hitler did nice things to somebody somewhere, I'm sure, I don't know, but I imagine he was nice to his dog, petted his dog or something before he killed him. So no, he's not, right? But you know what I'm saying. There's people that are clearly not nice people, but they occasionally do a nice thing, right? Um, and it goes the other way, too. There are people that are followers of Christ that occasionally do bad stuff, right? That's, that's a fact. In fact, I'll say there's not, there are followers, all followers of Jesus do bad things occasionally, right? That's, that's reality. So Paul knows that. So that's why he's addressing it, right? I, I would say this, um, if you're 
concerned about, you know, if, if I'm following Jesus but I'm sinning, how does that work? It, it's an overall, what Paul's looking at here is an overall um, kind of the way you live your life in general. I, uh, one thing, that it, it shows, it shows who's, who's your master, right? The, the things you do show who you're obe obedient to, right? So what I would say there is if you have a general tendency of living in a certain way, enough that people would expect you to live that way, that's probably the master you're serving, okay? If you're general, generally following Christ and occasionally goof, if people are surprised when you goof, that means you're following Christ. You're, you're being obedient. You just goofed. If you're generally not following Christ and people are surprised when you do good stuff, well, we know who your master is, right? That's kind of, that's kind of what Paul's saying here, is, is your, your life is evidence of who you serve. So, you know, don't, don't get hung up on the one event that you've done wrong. Look at your whole life as a picture, and that, that's going to show you who your master is. But Paul knows people will screw up. So he's trying to uh, remind people and, and help them not willfully engage in that. That's really his point here. If you look at it, in verse 19, he says, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, right? You presented your members. You did it willingly. As you once did that, that's the way you were. He's reminding them, don't do that anymore. Okay, that, that's a bad play. Don't, don't make that pass. It's a bad pass, right? You know, for a sports analogy. He's also in the same sentence, basically, reminding them how it really was. Because we get that like Stockholm Syndrome memory thing. Oh, yeah, it wasn't so bad. No. But what fruit, in verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. He's reminding them. That was not good. Don't live that way. And don't willfully put yourself in a position to do so. That, that's his, his writing to the Roman Christians. He's saying, hey, guys, that was a bad scene. Don't get into that. Okay? So what does he mean by those things we're ashamed of? The Bible is full of lists of things that aren't good. Right? I thought about it, and I wanted to at least venture into that topic for the other purpose that I have. So I'm going to put, I'm going to put out Galatians 5. Okay, I'm going to put that up here. One of the lists of, of how it was, right? Galatians 5.19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. This sounds like a great time. Right? When's the last time you said, you know what? I need to be more jealous in my life. Yeah, this is not good, right? Uh, Whereas divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the behavior of a slave to sin, right? So Paul's purpose was to remind people of not putting themselves in the position to do that. Don't love that old master, so he was saying, the Stockholm Syndrome. Oh, it wasn't so bad. Weren't they nice to me when I was? No, man. They put a gun to your head, and we're going to shoot you in your face. There's nothing nice about those people. Zero. Doesn't matter if they gave you a cup of water. Don't do that. Same thing, right? You, your life was a mess. You're ashamed of it now, hopefully, right? And, and you just, it was, who wants to live like that? Don't put yourself in that position. That's Paul's purpose in sharing this with the Roman Christians. Right? So why well, so we talk about it? Well, that's a good reason, too. But I, I think there's another layer here that I want to get into for our purposes today. And that, that's the fact that some people in this room probably aren't followers of Jesus Christ. I don't say that out of any personal knowledge. I say that out of a statistical reality, right? In a group this size, even in a church, or people watching online, I don't know who's watching online, there's probably some folks that haven't committed their lives to Jesus yet. 
and they need to hear this message, right? They're living in, 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 a, in the charge of a master who does not have their best interest in heart. So if that's you today, I don't know, right? This isn't personal because I don't know everybody here, but it's the reality. If you're in that situation, your master is looking forward to you dying. That's his plan. Okay, that is not a good place to be. Sin is worse than a sickness. Okay, we look at people getting sick in the world, we feel bad for them, as we should, right? Sin is worse than any disease you can think of. It, the, the big one out there probably be some sort of cancer, right? That's like the big scare disease. Everybody gets scared if they feel that they, if they find out they have cancer or a loved one has cancer. Sin's worse than that. You want to know why? Cancer will eat you away here on this earth. You will suffer and you will die, and then you will have some relief from it, right? Sin will mess up your life here. It'll eat you away, and then when you die, there is no relief. That is brutally difficult to think about, guys, right? And, and that, that's a big deal. I want, I want those who are following that wrong master to understand what he's got in mind for you, okay? That, that's not a good thing. I am begging you to listen to this message of redemption, and salvation that you can hear in the scripture. You can read it for yourself. You can hear it. You can watch it online. There's all kinds of ways to find it. Okay, but I'm begging you to listen. There's a better master. Surrender that fight. There is a better master that's going to clean up your wounds. That, that song we sang today, Come As You Are, that, that's ironic. I'm going to address that in a minute. Uh, it, it, he talked about cleaning up your wounds, healing you, fixing you. That's the master that's coming, right, if you'll surrender. Who, who doesn't want to serve that guy, right? That, that, I, I just, I can't enough stress to those who haven't followed Jesus, that's a reality. Please listen, please, okay? Because here's the flip side. Here's the other master, okay? That's some bad stuff. I don't want to talk about that anymore, right? That, that's what Paul's saying. I don't want to talk about that anymore. So our, my third point today is what's the fruit of serving Jesus, okay? And that's in verse 22. It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, right? They go together. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, Eternal life, not eternal death, right? So that word sanctification, that can, that can throw people off a little bit. Um, it's a Bible word, so it's not wrong to use it. We try to not use big churchy words here. I'll give you an example, the non-Bible word. This is non-Bible word, soteriology. First time I heard that, I'm like, what is that? I don't know. Soteriology is just the study of how salvation works. Guess what? The first part of the sermon was a whole bunch of soteriology. And I never had to say the word to you because we just talked about how salvation works, right? So we try not to use those words. Okay, sanctification is in the Bible, so we'll, we'll try to use it. But I'm going to use Paul's approach here. I'm going to use human words <laughs> that we can understand. Okay, I'm going to try to break this down a little bit. So sanctification is the noun form of the word sanctify. I thought I was going to use human words. Well, I got to get there. Okay, I got to get there. Sanctification is the noun form of sanctify, which means to set apart for a holy purpose. Still sounds like we're talking about big ideas, okay? So here's what it, I think uh, an easier way to explain that. He is trying to clean you up from what you were so you can be what he wants you to be to serve him. That's what sanctification is, okay? And that's, it's, it's funny, the, the, the fact that God's cleaning up our mess, I, my desk at home is messy, I will admit it. My wife driver nuts, okay? She touches my mess, I get a little bit like this, because I know where stuff is, right? Sometimes people cleaning up our mess riles us up. Well, the mess we're in from sin is not good. It needs cleaning, all right? It needs cleaning. So that's what God's doing for us. Um, and 
you know, what he does, it's going to look different for everybody, right? Because we all come to him with various messes of various volumes, right? There's all kinds of different ways we do that. So that, that thing is uh, difficult to deal with for everyone, but it's different for everyone, too. Okay, there's some things that we all deal with, but, you know, there's lots of things that are different. So the, um, the bottom line is simple. So uh, now you use the word simple, and you make people feel bad. Simple does not mean it's easy. Simple means it's not hard to explain. He's cleaning us up. We're messed up, okay? And, and the, the fact of the matter is, and, and this is where the, the song we sang, Come As You Are, I actually, that's a message people get from, from church sometimes. Come as you are. You don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. But that's not the end of the story, right? The, the follow-up to that message is either in some churches not even done or just not listened to or heard well or whatever. I don't know. But the, the end of that story is what you are is not good enough anymore either, right? Once you're following Jesus, he doesn't want you to stay like that. He doesn't want you to live in all that stuff <clears throat> Excuse me, that was bad before. He wants to clean you up, okay? So, and actually, the, the song we sang after that really kind of told the story. Go to the cross, die to yourself, and that's what takes care of it. It was really good. I, I, I don't... Sean or I, I don't think either one of us plan the songs with the, the worship team. They, they might get a little bit of an idea, but you know, I didn't for sure. And those two songs actually fit perfect with my message. You have to come as you are because there's no other way to come. But you can't stay that way. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to change. You've got to be sanctified. You've got to be cleaned up. And that's a big deal. Um, <clears throat> and, and with this, right, the, the reality is that this is um, called fruit for a reason. It doesn't happen overnight. It grows. Paul calls it fruit because it grows as a result of what God does in us. It's not wages, as he references at the end of the passage. The wages, what you get paid for what you did, the wages of sin is death. That's your payment for being a slave to sin. Our, our gift from God, as he grows us, he produces fruit in us. But that takes time. Okay? So sanctification is a lifelong thing. And that, that's, that's something that people, uh, as they, they transition from slaves of sin to slaves of Jesus, they sometimes get bugged out because the world's not perfect all of a sudden. And you're not perfect either. Yeah, I get, yeah. <laughs> it's going to stay that way. You're never going to be perfect. Okay? But you should be growing better and better. You should be cleaned up. Okay? And the, the reality is when we see that idea of uh, the wages of your sin, right? I work, I get paid. That is another thing that's ingrained in us. I don't think it's even American. I think that's human nature. I've referenced before, our, our lives are transactional. I do this to get that. Right, And that, that's how we think. And that's not how it works with God. In fact, I would say, if you try to work to make yourself better, you're probably getting in the way. You're probably making a mistake. The, the secular world will talk in, in uh, counseling and in therapies and even in just like self-help books and stuff. I'm working on myself. I'm working on myself to make myself better. That is a very uneducated carpenter trying to build the Eiffel Tower or something, right? You don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Stop trying to build what you don't know what you're doing, okay? Let God build you. Get out of his way. And I'll, I'll support this with what Paul says in, in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you're committed and having be been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. The word translated there as standard and standard of teaching is in some translations, it's uh, rendered as form, the form of teaching. And that's possibly better because it really refers to a mold, like you would like a form for concrete or a mold you would pour hot metal into to make a 
piece of jewelry or something like that. That's what Paul's talking about here is we don't work to make ourselves better. God molds us. He changes us. He's the one with his Holy Spirit that makes you better than you were. God is sanctifying you. You don't sanctify yourself. Okay? And, and that idea, later in Romans even, uh, Paul refers to God as the potter and we are the clay. Right? Clay doesn't make itself into a pot. God does. Right? The potter does. So my advice to you in this idea of sanctification and in being a slave to righteousness is to do your job as that slave and stop yearning for that old master. No Stockholm Syndrome. Get yourself out of the way and follow God as he grows you. God's going to grow you into something new. You're not going to do that yourself. Okay, the Holy Spirit will. But you're in the way. You're in the way. Your selfishness, the things that you want to do, get in the way of that. So put those aside. Um, the, consider now the Israelites, right? As they traveled along with Moses, considered about how they complained about, well, just about everything, right? They were always complaining. And they always look back to Egypt, right? They were always saying, wasn't it better in Egypt? We had food. Wasn't it better in Egypt? We had better food, right? Wasn't it better in Egypt? We weren't going to get run down by chariots. Yes, you were. This stuff was going to happen, right? You were, things were not good for you there. Uh, and the life got hard for them, usually because they weren't obeying God. They were doing dumb stuff. And then they complained and wanted to go back to the old master, right? Don't let that happen to you. That old master is not welcome in our lives. Don't fall in love with the way it used to be like that, because the way it used to be was envy, jealousness, strife, anger, all that stuff. And those things don't get you to the kingdom of God, right? That's not how someone who's going to the kingdom of God lives. What does follow is the reality of what God does to us. So I think what we run into in terms of the, the idea of sanctification and growing, we run into ourselves more often than not. Inertia, things are good the way they are, or just a lack of interest in change is probably your biggest enemy, okay? And, and I would say remove that and seek after God, and he's going to change you. There's a passage in Philippians I want to refer to, because this is a really twisty one that kind of, it almost contradicts itself. It doesn't. And when you feel like the Bible contradicts itself, you've got to take a bigger picture step back and see what other things say. But this one's pretty interesting, especially along the lines that we're talking about today. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not, also, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Dan doesn't know what he's talking about. The guy just said, work out your salvation, right? But, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure, right? I would say to you that God puts those desires in your heart. They don't even come from you. Your desire is that old master most of the time, Right? If you'll get out of the way, if you'll let him work, out will come your salvation. He will change you. Okay? And one last thing. Actually, let me get to this other idea first. So God's going to change us if we let him. Right? If we'll stop fighting against him, stop loving our old master, and just seek after him. All you got to do is have your heart open to him. I want to be like you, Lord. That's about what it takes. His spirit will work in you. He will help you to will to do the good things and to do them. Right? That's his promise to you. It's in his word. It's his promise. And here's the thing. I, and this is, I wanted to get to this before I finish up. Um, those of you who are familiar with VeggieTales, um, can you put that up there? There is, there is a, a VeggieTale called Snoodle's Tale. I think I've shown a clip in here before. I can't remember now. I forget over the years what I've done. This is an excellent, I, I totally endorse this. Go home and YouTube it. This is the idea I'm talking about. Okay. 
in this, in this story, I give a brief synopsis, the Snoodles are these little imaginary creatures, and they're born out of a machine, and they all have talents, and the little guy comes out, and he's not good at what he's doing because he's new and young, and everybody makes fun of him, and he gets sad and runs away. And in his ventures, he runs into a character that's clearly God. It's evident. And what God does when he's talking to him about how bad he feels about himself and how he isn't what he's supposed to be, he shows him a painting. And it's a painting of like a super snoodle. It's just like the best possible thing you can imagine. And the little guy's like, oh, who's that? And God says, that's you. And snoodle says, that's not me. Look at me. I can't do anything. He's like, no, I painted that picture because I made you and I know what I, what I intended you to be. And that's what God's got in store for us. He knows what he intends us to be. Right? He knows. He already had in his mind when he created you what he intended you to be. You're in the way. Get out of the way and let him work because he is a way better artist than you are. Way better. Okay? So that, that's my encouragement to you is to let him do what he does best and create things. We saw that video. He created the world, right? Makes you think he can't fix you. Get out of the way. Let him do it. All right? And what does he want to make you into? This is what I'm going to finish up with. I'm going to go back to Galatians 5. That's why I chose that passage, because the next sentence in Galatians 5 has the other side of the coin, right? We ended with these things don't, they lead, don't lead to the kingdom of heaven, I think is how it ended. Well, in verse 19 or 22, it says, but, contradicting that, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. There's no checklist there. You can't do this to get that. God's got to do that. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And check this out. I didn't realize until I'd finished writing my sermon that I proved my point with this verse. It, it struck me. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. When you crucify the flesh, that's when that stuff can grow. It's simple. Oh, boy, is it hard. But it's simple, right? Get yourself out of the way. That's the only explanation you need. How to do that, that's hard. It is. <clears throat> simple. Crucify the flesh. That stuff will grow. I, 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 it blew me away when I saw that. I didn't intend that. I was just going to use the fruit of the Spirit. And I saw that second verse. I'm like, oh, my goodness, look at that. That is exactly what I'm trying to say. God knew that. right? God knows what his word says, and he led me to the right spot. I thank him for that. Right? It's awesome when that happens. Um, the, the reality is God's trying to grow you if you're a follower of Christ. He's trying to grow you into that stuff, which is way better than the other list. Right? And if you'll let him, he will do that for you. And he'll make you want to, too, by the way. It's a good deal. We don't, we don't even have to come up with the energy to desire that. All we have to do is get out of the way. And that energy will grow, that desire will grow, and that stuff will grow. And then God gets to use you. He'll use you however you are, but he gets to use you better when you're more like him. right? That, that, that's just a cool thing. And, and uh, oh, actually, there's one more thing. It, should we do this? Should we grow? Of course we should grow, right? We know that. Our goal in this, this is way back to what sanctification means. I skipped over it. Jesus himself said, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. That seems pretty tough there, Jesus. How, how am I supposed to do that, right? You know, you're putting the bar pretty high. You know, I, I got short legs. I can't jump that high. It's okay, right? So he knows that. Obviously, he's not giving you an impossible task. That is the goal, and that's going to happen when we're with him, right? Whenever... So here's another fancy church word, glorification, right? When our bodies are changed to be like him, whether that's when we die, when he comes back, whatever the order of that event is for all of us, however that plays, that's when we're going to be perfect. But until then, we can't just sit back and say, I'm good enough. That I, I wanted to get in there. He has a standard for us. And all that stuff that's going to grow, all that fruit's going to grow, 
None of us will be perfect at it, but he wants us to be better, right? And that's it. Come as you are, but you can't stay that way. You got to get better. So one last thing in verse 17. Um, how do we know all this stuff too, right? Well, verse 17, when he talks about uh, being obedient to the standard of the teaching that you've been given, that's for us the Bible, obviously. For Paul, that would have been the Torah and what the apostles were teaching at the time. Um, and, and, and Jewish tradition, this is a big deal here, actually, I think. Jewish tradition, the rabbis held the truth, and they held the traditions. And they made some up as they went along, and they added to their laws and stuff like that. But if you needed to know what was going on, you had to go have the rabbi tell you what to do. And that actually carried over into many parts of Christianity, too, right, where you had to have someone tell you what to do. That was never the intention from pieces of scripture like this. Is, that's never the intention. Paul, in another place, says if you hear a gospel other than what we preached from anybody, including us, they're wrong. The gospel is a gospel, right? So in that idea, the teachings are the authority, not the people. Paul is not holding himself up. He's not holding Peter, John, any of those people up. Those things became scripture as people looked at it, right? They were, they were scripture um, later. They didn't understand that they were scripture at the time, but they did become scripture. That's our standard, guys. When we look at how any of this works that I talked about today, our standard is what the scriptures say, not what I've said, not what Sean says, not what the guy on TV or the radio says, but the scriptures. If those things aren't referred to, be cautious, right? That's our authority. Um, so one final thought here out of this whole thing. And, and this is particularly intended for those who have surrendered their life to Christ, but there's a bit in there for those who haven't as well. The last verse here says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ Jesus our Lord, I'm sorry. To those who haven't surrendered to Jesus, not a threat, guys. There's no threat involved in that, but it's a reality. And again, one last time, I would just implore you, take it seriously and seek him out, right? May not happen today, but seek him out. And if you, as you're contemplating how, how we close up our service here, if that is something you want to talk about, talk to one of the pastors. Talk to the person next to you, maybe. They might be more accessible to you than a pastor. I don't know. Some people get put off by pastors. We're just regular folks. But, you know, if you, if you feel uncomfortable, anyone in the church here that's part of our family can talk to you about who Jesus is, right? Feel free to do that. Engage with him. He wants, he, he died for you, right? He shed his blood so that your sins would be forgiven, and it's no longer a barrier between you and God. He broke those bonds if you let him. He did that, okay? So it's not a threat. It's a, it's a, it's a plea. Run, run from death. Run from the master who leads you to death, and run to the one who will give you life. But to those of us who have followed Jesus, I, I want to put something out in front of you. Sean and I were at a conference. Steve was there, too, uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and one of the guys speaking talked about how in their church they... Uh, they regularly engage people about the people around them who don't know Jesus to keep it in their minds. And we want to start doing that here, too. Okay? I want to remind you that that wages of sin is death thing applies to people you know and you love. Your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. There's people there that don't know Jesus. You know who they are, right? It's not, you know, I said earlier, we don't know anybody's heart. But sometimes you do because they say it right out loud. Real easy to tell then, right? Um, they desperately need Jesus, and they need you to tell them, okay? If you had the cure to cancer, you wouldn't hide it. You'd give it to them, okay? So we want to we start reminding you guys of that, that the people around you need you. Start praying for them. That, at the bare minimum, you can do that. The bare minimum, you can do that. You can pray for the folks around you, and then start those conversations about Jesus. 
figure out a way to get the ball rolling, right? There's all kinds of ways to do that. We can help you with some of that. Sometimes when we give you those invites, that's one of our purposes. I've said that out loud, right? It's to give you a chance to talk to them about something about Jesus, okay? So we're, we're really concerned that you be concerned about the people you know that, that don't know Jesus because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That's a good deal, right? That's a good deal. So let's pray about that, Lord. Lord, I thank you that your word is clear, that uh, we do either serve sin or serve you. Father, I pray that it would just hit home for everybody here, that the uh, reality is we need to serve you. If we don't, it's a bad end for us, Father. And as we understand more and more, please help us to serve you more and more. Father, help that fruit to grow. Help us to crucify our flesh, put our sin to death, and just let the Spirit move and change us into who you made us to be. pray all these things in Jesus' name.